Buddy, <clears throat> sorry, I'm really healthy. I seriously am. I don't know what the. It's good to see everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for praying for me and for all the encouragement and stuff. I'm 80%, I think, on the way down the road of being 100%. So thank you for that and keep praying if you think of me. Um, with your permission, I would like to do a brief pre sermon sermon. Can I do that? So this is a, this is a, I wanted to say this and I'm going to pray it. But I was just going to pray it, and then I thought, why don't I tell you what I'm, what I'm praying and why I'm praying it? So I was, I've been reading this week, and this, this verse came back to mind. You guys remember the story at the end of Luke where Jesus is, or the two guys are walking. We don't know their names. They're walking down the road of Emmaus, and they're like, oh, this is after Jesus has died and resurrected. And they're trying to figure out how could Jesus have died, and they don't know if he really resurrected. And they're walking along, and then Jesus joins them, and they're walking, and then Jesus, you, you just how you don't want to be there. He explains to them from all of Scripture how it all points to him. And then they end up persuading Jesus to join them at his house. And then he, he uh, teaches them more, it says. And at the end of, the, end of it, he reveals himself to them as he eats bread. And then the two guys are interacting, reflecting on the moment. And they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And I thought, that's what I want. Every time I open the scriptures, I want to see Jesus so clearly that my heart burns within me. And so I want to pray that for us. Even like a, a little of a New Year's blessing prayer on us as a church, that every time we open God's word, we would see Jesus and our hearts would burn within us. Do you want that? I mean, I want that. I don't want to just read a letter and a, a book. I want to read Jesus, and I want my heart to change. So I'm going to pray that for us, and then we're actually going to look this morning at 1 Timothy together. But let me just pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we do believe that all the scriptures point to you, and we believe all the scriptures are breathed out by God, and that they um, are completely perfect in training us and teaching us and molding us and revealing to us everything we need to know about life and about you and about us and about how to get right with you and to live for eternity. And so thank you for your word. And God, we just want to pray at the outset of 2022 that every time we open your word, whether it's together here, whether it's in a community group, a group of three, with our families or on our own, we pray that your word would show us Christ in such a way that our hearts would burn within us. God, we need your spirit Holy Spirit, we need you so that we don't just read words, ink on a page, but that it would have its attended effect on our hearts and have its attended effect on our lives. And so we need you to make what is already alive, your word, burn within us. May it burn in our hearts. May it stir our affections. May it bring us life. May it correct us and mold us and, and help us and form us into being the men and the women and the children you want us to be. And so, God, we, we dedicate this next year of preaching to you. Uh, we, re, we dedicate our, our reading plan to you. We dedicate every time we open our Bibles to you and ask you, Spirit, to be very quick to make our hearts burn with the reality of the person and the work and the character of Jesus Christ. And would you do that this morning? Even as we begin with this sermon from 1 Peter, I pray that you would not allow any one of us to leave this room without something in our hearts sparking with life in Christ. Do that, Lord, for some of us for the first time. Maybe there's someone here that don't know you yet. Spark 
living, born-again life in our hearts. For those of us that have known you for years, we want our hearts to burn afresh for you. And so do that. Make us alive in Christ today, whether it's the, for the first time or the 50th time, alive in our emotions and our minds to Jesus Christ. Be honored and pleased as we, as we embark on uh, this journey in this coming year. Help us every time, Lord. Help us to understand what we read and to believe what we read and to love what we read and then to live it in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so in a minute, I'm going to read from 1 Timothy, but if you want to get there, you can get there. I got to get there because I got too excited and lost my place. Timothy. All right. Well, at the beginning of a new year, I know that all of us process that differently. God's made us all different. So some of us look at January 1st as a really big deal. It's a chance for new beginnings, a chance to start over again, a chance to make some New Year's resolutions. Are any of you guys those New Year resolution type, yeah, New Year kind of people? Maybe some of you are. While others of you, you look at January 1st and you go, hey, it's the same as December, 3rd, or December 1st, January 1st, February 1st, whatever. It's just another new month. And it's not a big deal to you. But no matter your perspective, either way, regarding how significant you think the beginning of a year is, two things are true. There's more than two things, but there's at least two things that are true about the year that lies ahead. And the first is, God is already at work in 2022. He's already there ahead of us working. He's promised he will work in the new year. And the second thing is true is there are some things that God commands you to do in the upcoming year. So if you will, there's almost like there's, there's two to-do lists. There's God's to-do list, which will happen. And then there's the to-do list that he gives all believers, that he gives to us, the things that he calls us to do. And I'm guessing that even in this room, some of us are more aware of God's to-do list. Like, oh, God's got it all in control. He'll take care of the new year. And it almost can make us, maybe, some of us, a little passive about our to-do list. Because after all, God's going to do his to-do list, and that supersedes my to-do list anyway. While others in this room, maybe you are a little more aware of your to-do list, and not so much God's. You're like, yeah, God's going to do his thing, but I'm responsible. I want to be in control of things. And maybe it can cause you to take maybe too much control because you're more aware of your to-do list. So just at the outset of the year, I just want to ask you to make a note, a mental note, of where maybe you fall, if you fall in one camp or the other. Maybe you're aware, I'm more the God's got under control, and it calls you maybe to be a little more passive. Or maybe you're aware of your to-do list, and you feel like God's only going to work if I do my thing. Just to be aware of that. Which way do you lean? Because the reality is, both are true, aren't they? God is going to work, and God loves to ask us to join him, in what he is already doing. And so I just wanted to, I wanted to be in, I guess I am probably more of the, it's a new year, you know, take the hill, here we go. So just the outset of that even, I just want to remind you of a couple of things that God is going to do in 2022. So I just want to do that before we even get into the scriptures, just, just to encourage you this morning, just to build your faith and excitement for the new year. In 2022, God is going to justify you. 
In other words, you are already justified from the beginning of 2022 all the way to the end of 2022. You you are going to be justified in 2022 just like you were in 2021. In other words, your sins are all forgiven already for 2022. So all the sins you're going to commit, you've already been forgiven for. And you've already been clothed in all of Christ's righteousness ahead of you in 2022. So you, you're, as much as you were forgiven in 2021, you already are forgiven in 2022. As much as you were clothed in 2021, you're already clothed in 2022. In other words, Jesus already did it. He, it's already done for the new year. So you don't have to worry, is God going to forsake me in 2022? No, he is not. He's promised he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. So whatever you go through in 2022, and we don't know what that is, and he does, he's not going to leave you, and he's going to be with you. You will be as adopted in 2022 as you were in 2021. You are his child. You can't be any less of his child in the coming year. That is secure. That is rock-solid truth for you to grab a hold on as you think about the new year. Things you don't know could happen or might happen. You are already an adopted child of God. God already has your sanctification plan in mind for 2022. It's all mapped out. He's going to be with you through the whole process. So you can count on him being there. Knowing... And we could spend hours here talking about what God already has set up for you in 2022, promises for you in 2022, ways he's going to be with you in 2022. Knowing all of them is meant to build your faith to do the things he's called you to do in 2022. Does that make sense? So you grab a hold of who he is and what you know he's going to do. And then you go, okay, now, God, I can look at your to-do list for me and I can go do it. Because it's anchored in the hope of what you already have planned and what you're already promised you will do for me. And so may that make what we tend to do, what we need to do, what we're called to do in 2022, something we do with more intentionality, more intensity, more consistency, more motivation. Because we know God's already ahead of us in the year. He already has his to-do list to do, and it's practically done already because that's how God works. So this morning, as we turn the corner into the new year, I'm going to talk a little more about our role and what we do. Then I'm going to bring it back around to what God does at the end of what he's doing for us. But I just, as I was praying for us for this new year, I just felt like the Lord landed at me in 1 Timothy chapter 4 um, with a specific phrase in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that I want us to latch on to this morning and try to squeeze as much as we can out of four little words. And I'll show you what they are when we get there. So 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to start beginning in verse 1. This is Paul's letter to Timothy while Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus. And these words are as much for you and I as they are for Timothy. They're applicable to you and to me also. So chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods 
that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And here's our phrase for this morning. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for his word. So I'm going to make three points from that little phrase, train yourself for godliness. The first point is going to be train yourself for godliness. The second point is going to be train yourself for godliness. And the third point is going to be train yourself for godliness. Okay? That's all I want to do. I want to just talk to you about the New Year resolution you can make right now to go to the gym but a different kind of gym. So let's talk about these three words. Let's talk about the word train for a moment. Train yourself for godliness. So point number one, train yourself for godliness. Now the word train there, most of you guys probably already know this, is the word for gymnasium. It's the word for going to the gym. And actually, it's traced back to the, to the early Greeks and the, gym, the uh, gymnasium they would go to where everyone would go there and they would train naked. So the word actually has this idea of naked training, but we're not going there. This morning, but I thought I'd share that because that was funny. But that was, that's kind of where it comes from. But the idea is that's where we get our word for gymnasium. So really what, what Paul is telling Timothy here is he is to train himself, to exercise, to be disciplined. There's a, there's a training that he is to undergo. And to make sure that he is clearly not talking about physical training... He contrasts it with physical training. Does that make sense? So he wants to make sure we're not talking about going to the gym physically, getting buff, getting a six-pack. Instead, he says very clearly, look at verse, where am I? Verse 7 and 8, good. So he says, while bodily training is of some value, so he's comparing and contrasting this to bodily training. So he's not talking about exercising in the gym physically. Instead, he's talking about mental training, spiritual training, emotional training, what he's going to call godly training. That's his goal. This becomes more clear. You look back to verse 6. He says that he was being trained, we're to be trained in the words of faith and good doctrine. We're going to talk about that in a little bit too. But, so the idea is this is not physical training, but he's comparing. He's using it as an analogy. The way that you physically train. Now I want to talk to you how that relates to spiritual training, to godly training. So this training is a discipline in believing or loving or treasuring some reality of godliness that he's going to share in a minute. But there's this idea of exerting energy. 
And this is really the whole chapter. In fact, in some ways, it's almost the whole book of 1 Timothy. It is a book of action. It's a book of, of doing things, about effort. So if you look at verse 10, I know I didn't read all the verses I'm going to share with you, but verse 10, he talks about toil and striving. Do you see that? So he's got exercise, training, and now he's talking about toiling and striving in verse 10. If you look down at verse 13, he uses the word devoted. He's devoting himself to these things. Verse 15, he's talking about practice, being disciplined. Verse 15, he tells us to a, he's immersing himself or giving himself wholly to this. Verse 16, it's about persisting. In chapter 6, there's a phrase many of us are familiar with, fight the good fight of faith, right? So this is, this is like get down dirty, you know, active Christianity, put it on, do your thing. This is about us and, and our to-do list for the new year. And he's really trying to make it clear in this chapter that there's something we are to exert ourselves, to give ourselves to doing. There's something we need to put to action and not to be passive about at all. This is about breaking, breaking a spiritual sweat, if you will, and extending exercise spiritually speaking. Now, I don't know what your exercise practices are, but some of us, perhaps you've done this in the past where January 1st is coming and you're like, all right, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to exercise. And you buy a treadmill or you join the gym or you get a new pair of running shoes or something and you decide that you're going to tackle the new year with this resolution of exercise. Well, I, I belong to Health Unlimited, have for the last, I guess, eight years since we really moved here. And it is amazing how tomorrow, January 3rd, the gym will be packed. I mean, it'll be, there'll be no treadmills. There'll be no free weights. You'll wait in line to get to something. And then on January, because tomorrow's January 3rd, January 4th, January 5th, January 10th, by January 31st, it'll be back to normal. It happens every year. A commitment's made, but man, it takes work and commitment and discipline to keep exercising. And I think Paul uses this analogy to make the same point. It's going to take some work. There's something that we need to do spiritually that takes energy, that takes discipline, that is hard to do. It's something that's going to be a challenge for us. And he, he motivates us or he wants us to show us that, look, yes, that's going to be hard, but there's benefits to this that are greater than the benefits of physical training. So there's physical training, there's benefits. He says it. Look at verse 8. He says, for while bodily training is of some value. So there's value, he's saying. There's some value. It's not bad. It's a good thing. Godliness of value is of value in, yeah, in all things or in every way, maybe your version. So bodily training, some value. In some ways, godliness, which he's comparing here to spiritual training, it holds promises Where? Now and eternity. Yeah, so he's trying to motivate us to this spiritual training by saying, look, spiritual training is different than physical training. Yes, bodily training has some value. It's not bad. It's good. But this godly training, it has an impact for you in every way, in every way, because it holds promise for this life and also in the life to come. In other words... 
the benefits are going to last forever. They're going to last forever. So this is worth giving your attention to because it has an all-encompassing, eternal benefit. Physical exercise helps the body. Spiritual training is going to impact you in every way. Physical training is temporary. Spiritual training goes on and on and on. It's unlimited in the impact it's going to have on your life. So Paul is basically asking us, what is worth giving your time to? Spiritual training or physical training? Answer, spiritual training should be on the top of your list. That's really what he's trying to do. He's painting a picture to get our attention to say, why wouldn't you give your time to this? Why wouldn't this be what you give your heart to, this spiritual training? And I think the answer is given to us in verse 7. There's a competition between doing this spiritual training and something else. And he, he phrases it this way. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So there's something in competition in your soul to train yourself spiritually, and that is these irreverent, silly myths. And he says, have nothing to do with them. These irreverent, silly myths have nothing to do with them. Strongly refuse them. And these irreverent, silly myths are basically information or things that are available to everyone that aren't really reality. They aren't really true in the end. In some of your versions, maybe it says old wives' tales or theories, right? It's meaningless talk. And Paul's saying avoid things, ways of thinking, believing, giving your time and energy to things that are just, put in Colossians terms, just plausible arguments, just things that, that really aren't going to benefit you in the end, and yet you believe that they're true, and you embrace them, and you give your time to them. They're things that sound and seem so right and so beneficial, where at the end, they're really not. At the end, you just realize, man, I just wasted time. You ever done that? You thought something was going to be so helpful, and then you're done, you go, that was a waste. I just blew 30 minutes on something that had no value whatsoever. And so I think that's why God has Paul record this here, because he knows there's something in us that is compelled to go to certain things that seem so exciting and promise so much help. And in the end you go, well, that was really not as helpful as I thought it was going to be. But it looked so shiny and new and exciting and thrilling and had all these promises attached to it, and then we run to it anyway. Or maybe we see, oh, that really worked for someone else, so I'm going to give all my time and energy to that, so it'll do the same for me. Right? We, we can do that. We can do those sorts of things. We can think about how something worked in the past for us. So we give our time to that, thinking that's the answer. We can be convinced that certain ways of doing things or certain way other people are doing things, that we should be doing them or we have to do them, and we end up having something to do with these old wives' tales or these myths or these things that we think are helpful when they really aren't. And so Paul's just saying, don't be trained by them. Instead, train yourself for godliness. So really just application for us is, do you know what those things are in your life? Because I don't think they're stupid things. I don't think they're things that at face value would go, well, that's dumb. Why would I train? Why would I give my energy to that? 
No, they're things that trick us. So you have to know what tricks you. What, what can suck you away into an hour of never-never land that really doesn't produce any? You know what those are for you. And Paul is saying, don't. Instead, give that time and that energy to training yourself for godliness. Give it, give it to something that's eternal and that's worth more. So there's point one. Put on your shorts and your sneakers and your sweats and get ready to exercise, Paul says. This is going to take work. Do you want it? And he's motivated us to some degree to want it, this training. And point number two, he says this, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Now, as a church, we talk about community all the time because God's word talks about community all the time, about the church and the body of Christ and us helping each other grow. So this is not contradicting that. This is just making sure that you understand, I think Paul is, that ultimately you are the one that's responsible for your godliness. See, I, I can encourage you, join a community group, be a part of a group of three, uh, do a Bible reading plan, pursue Jesus. But ultimately, you're the one that has to do it. I can't make you do it. I want to be a coach like Paul. Come on, do it. But I can't grab your arm and make you do the exercise. You actually have to do it. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. Look, you, you, do it your, you have to do this yourself. No, no one can make you do it. No one can twist your arm to do it. This is something you have to do. Remember, I said at the beginning of the sermon, there's things that God does in our lives. There's things we do in our lives. And this is one of the things God calls us to do, to play a part in, to exercise, to train yourself for godliness. So I'm encouraging you this morning, in 2022, prepare yourself to go to the spiritual gym. I want you to go. I want you to go to the gym. And I want you to grow, Paul's saying here, in godliness. I want to point out to you the benefits of the spiritual gym. I want to help lead you to the spiritual gym, but at the end of the day, I can't really train you. You've got to train yourself. Only you can do that. And so what is it that you're being trained for? So point number three, we're to train yourself for godliness. For godliness. Now, what is godliness? If you're like me, that's a big, scary word. Godliness. And it is that because of things I've been taught or told. I mean, that's supposed to be the aim of my training, right? If I were going to run a 5K, I would train to run a 5K. If I had a big test coming up, I would train or study for the test so I could take the test. So there's, a, there's a goal at the end. So the goal here is godliness. I'm training for something. I'm training to accomplish something. And godliness is what it is. So what is godliness. Well, often in the church, at least my upbringing and part of my life, when I hear the word godly or godliness, I ascribe it to a list of do's and don'ts, right? There's certain things you do so you can be godly, and there's certain things you don't do so you can be godly. You want to be godly, you read your Bible, you go to church, you give money, you serve. To be godly means you don't do certain things. I don't steal, I don't lie, I don't lust, don't get drunk. There's my list. What I've learned in my life is that depending on when and where you live, that list changes, right? You may not 
have, maybe some of you guys have talked to your parents, remember the days when playing cards was on the no list, right? Going to the movies was on the no list. I mean, the list can be whatever. I've had people tell me that I should have my shirt tucked in because that should be on my don't have your shirt untucked list because that's not godly. I mean, the list depends on where you are and who you're with, what you're doing. That's what's godly is very subjective at times. So what is, what is godliness? What does it mean over time and where you live? What, what, what does it really mean? So you've got your Bible out. I don't know what day in 2022 you'll be in 1 Timothy 4, but you're there. And you get to that little phrase, train yourself for godliness. And you go, huh, I wonder what godliness is. How are you going to find out? Say it really loud, Casey. Read around the verse, right? Ring around the rosy, ring around the verse. Don't just tack your own definition on it. You read around the verse. Well, what you find out, if you start reading around the verse, because that's what I did, because I wanted to know, why does Timothy, and how does Timothy, or how does Paul, use godliness? Because different authors can use words even different ways in different books based on what the point is they're making, and they can say it, use it differently. Well, lucky for us, the word godliness is used nine times in the book of 1 Timothy. So that's nine times in a pretty short book. So that helps us. But you know what really helps us? Is one place specifically. Look in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 16 really helps us to get, I think, what Paul means, what God means in 1 Timothy as a definition of godliness. Let me, ver- chap- let me start in verse 14 of chapter 3 just to put it in context. So chapter 3, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave. So there is behavior involved here, which is good and right. In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Let's just stop there for a second. Have any of you ever been a little confused about what godliness is, how you get it, how it's produced in your life, why, what it looks like, why sometimes I feel very godly and other times I don't, why sometimes people say you're a godly person and sometimes people would never say that to me based on my, like, you ever think those things? Like, just think about what he's saying here. There's, there's a mystery factor in this thing called godliness, probably because it's not as tangible as we think it is. And probably because it's more inward than we often think it is. We think of godliness and we can think of a list of things that are very outward. But there's a mystery involved in here because there are probably more things going on that we need to consider inward. So there's a, there's a mystery in this. So if you start thinking about your own godliness and you think, this is a little confusing, a little... Well, it's because it's a mystery. There's something mysterious going on here. Now he's going to tell us exactly what it is that's mysterious about our godliness. So here is his, if you will, definition of godliness. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What is he talking about? Or should I ask, who is he talking about? Who was manifested in the flesh? Christmas time is upon us. This is not a trick question, right? I mean, who is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. So if I'm going to say, 
great indeed, church. We confess the mystery of godliness. And I would start listing things that you should do. Thoughts you should have. Ways you should behave. What's his definition of godliness? Jesus. He takes us right to Christ. And he says, you want to know how you train yourself for godliness? Train yourself for or toward Jesus. Now, I hope you see that. Do you see it? Because I hear people say stuff like, Matt, you make every passage talk about Jesus. No, I don't. The Bible makes every passage talk about Jesus. So I want to make sure you see that there. Like, you want to define, somebody asks you what's godliness, you say, godliness is Jesus. That's what it is. It's Jesus. So when you take all this now and you, you put it together and you think about it, you go, okay, that means that when I train myself for godliness, what I'm really doing is I am training myself towards Jesus. I'm training myself in the direction of Jesus. That is what it means to be godly. That's crazy because that's not necessarily what I've ever been taught about godliness. <laughs> that godliness really is about Jesus. It's about a who. And so we are to train ourselves towards him. Godliness is wrapped up in a mystery because it's wrapped up in the person of Christ. It's wrapped up in Jesus being God, yet manifested in the flesh, being vindicated by the Spirit. It's about Christ being seen by angels, being proclaimed and preached among nations, people throughout the world believing in him and him ascending up into heaven. That's godliness. That's the definition he gives us about godliness. I was thinking about this, and I was, I was thinking how often I don't realize that the word God is in the word godliness. <laughs> it's, I know it sounds maybe oversimplistic, but I can forget. Like, wait a minute. Godliness. And I can turn godliness into a list of behaviors rather than realizing, no, godliness has God in it. So it must mean God is at the center of whatever this thing called godliness is is. It has to. He, he must be at the center of it. Because really now this is about someone, not something anymore that I'm training myself towards, right? Train yourselves towards someone. It's not training yourselves towards something. It's training yourselves towards a person. It's training ourselves in the direction of Jesus. So let me give you a bad illustration, but I couldn't think of another one. It would be like me saying, church, I want you to train yourself towards Matthewness. You all need to be more, more matly. I want more matly people in this church. Now, could, you really can't do that apart from Matt, right? If I said, everyone, train yourself for matliness. Well, I guess there's another way to do it. You, you could watch me and study me. You could ask Elsbeth and my kids about me and what I'm like. You could call my parents and get more information about me, read my journals, right? You could look how other people are becoming more matly and try to copy their matliness because maybe they know something matly that you don't know. And over time, you may look a little more matly. You might. Or you could instead just spend a lot of, times with, a lot of time with Matt. You could literally staple yourself to me. Do the things that I do as I'm doing them. You could not just get to know what I do and don't do, 
but why I do and don't do those things. You could not only know why I love and hate certain things, or not just that what I hate and what I love, but why I love and hate certain things. You could really staple to yourself to me in such a way that you would understand my heart and my mind on different things. So you could start to think and feel like Matt thinks and feels. You could be so close to Matt that you actually have to do things and become like Matt and be really Mattly without even knowing it. Bad example, huh? Train yourself for godliness. Same, same picture. Be so close to the one who is God that you become godly. So train yourself to be with God. Train yourself towards God. So practical applications could just be this. This is why I found it helpful for me to consider some of these. I don't know if you have, I hope you kind of do, at different times in your life, different goals. Like, man, I just want to be more gentle. Or I want to be more loving. Or, you know, I want to, I want to be more generous. Maybe you have different things that the Spirit puts his hand on in your life. And you say, I just want to change and I want to grow in that area. So let, let's just take gentleness for an area. So let's just say you thought to yourself, I want to train myself for gentleness. Right? We could say that. You could say, I want to train myself towards godliness, and gentleness is godliness. But if you're taking Paul's definition, then really what you're doing is you're training yourself towards the one who is gentle. Do you see the difference? It's one thing for me to say, I want to be gentle. It's another thing for me to say, no, I want to know the one who is gentle so that I'll become gentle. Do you see the difference? One moves me towards God. One just moves me towards a change in maybe just behavior. I'll just modify my gentleness. I'll, I'll lower my voice a little when I talk to people. and I'll, I'll just try to be a little more calm and slow when I'm with them and listen more. You can adjust behavior. And that's not what he's going for. He's saying, no, no. If you want to grow and be gentle, then go after the one who's gentle. Know the one who is gentle. Maybe it's patience for you. I would say train yourself towards patience by training yourself to the one who is magnificently patient. The one who's patient with you all the time. Let your heart be moved and amazed by the patient one so you'll become patient. Love, want to be more loving. Well, don't do it without beholding the one who is ultimately love. Don't. Or you'll just be stapling good behavior onto your life instead of saying, no, I want my heart to change by being with the one who ultimately can change me. The same is true for parents. It's a little harder to put our hands on this because if you have little kids that aren't converted yet, but you still want them to act godly, you should feel a pressure as a mom or a dad when you're going, I've got this kid who is evil. <laughs> they, they don't know love Jesus. They don't have the spirit of God. They're not converted. But yet I'm told to train them to be godly. So how do I do that? And I think there's some things in Scripture, I think there's some things that we can do even from this verse to help us So we're not just trying to get our kids to be good, but we're leading them towards God, the one who is good, so they'll become good. And there's a huge difference. And I'm not against rewards or blessing our kids for different things, but there are dangers to sticker boards and offering ice cream parties for when they don't beat up their brother or sister or (laughs) movie time if they clean up their room. I'm not against all those things, but we've got to be very aware of the reality that what we train our kids reward-wise, could be then their way of connecting the dot that, okay, if I do the right thing, I get the right reward, which isn't exactly motivating them, I think, the way that God wants them to. We can even use biblical moralism. Well, the Bible says to do it, so you should do it. 
well, is that the best motivation? I don't think so. According to this, it's, it's, you want to motivate them because of God, because of who God is. So I would suggest, in light of this, that perhaps we need to make sure that we're training our kids to share, for example, to not be selfish by leading them to the one who is ultimately sharing and not selfish. Give them a beautiful picture of how Jesus shares and let that move their hearts to become kids that want to share because they see the love and the sharing heart of Christ. I think we need to spend more time dazzling our kids with the attributes of God, with the glory of God, with who Jesus is and his generosity, his kindness, his patience, everything that he is, so they will see the beauty of being like him and then ask the Spirit to help change their hearts. I guess the the warning here seems to be, for me, is don't lead your children towards godliness without leading them towards God, to put it simply. Take them to God. Take them to God. Say, you know, I want you to share with your sibling because, let me tell you how God shares with us. I want you to be more loving because, let me show you how God is loving and lead them to see what God is like. Train them towards godliness, not towards good behavior-ness. Dazzle them with the goodness of God. I mean, this is why we memorized a while ago First, Second Corinthians 3.18. I think somebody even said it this morning. Uh, I think maybe, Casey, you prayed it before we even gathered today, that we want to behold the glory of God. Because when we do, we are transformed, Right? We're all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, or being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Why? That, that's how we change. So we want to behold Christ, and then we're changed, and that is where we find godliness. One last thing, I'll wrap it up with this, and that is, while we do this, we are to do it with hope. I love verse 10. I love verse 10. To this end we toil and strive. For to this end, for the end of godliness, I want to be godly. So what do I do? I toil and I strive because, here's the anchor for you. Here's what God is doing. Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. So why? Why put in the energy to pursue God, to know God. And, and certainly we do this in his word. I mean, you can go back and read, this is the section I read to you, and it mentions the word and teaching over and over again. And certainly we come to the word of God to know God, to know who God is. And then he says, listen, do this, toil and striving to be godly, to know God in his word, because you already have hope that's set on the living God. So your hope is not set in your pursuit of God. Your hope's not set in your godliness. Your hope is set on the living God. We set our hope in him because he's your savior. And he's alive. He's living. So the, the picture that's painted here is one of us saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expend extra energy. I'm going to give time and focus to spiritual exercise, pursuing God, so I can become more like God. And the whole time, my hope is not set on my obedience, on my ability to pursue God, the time I put in to pursue God. My hope is set on the living God. My hope is set on my Savior. So my hope is set here, but at the same time, I'm, I'm exerting lots of energy, exercising 
to become more godly, to pursue God, to, to be with God, to know God, so that my life can be changed. So, final application is simply this. I wonder if it would be good for us to consider how we can exercise ourselves for godliness. What does that look like for you? I like it that there's not really a formula here. certainly involves prayer and the word. He mentions that. And certainly it will mean things in your life will look different. But do you have an aim? You, You know, everybody's cut out differently. So I know some people need a trainer, right? They need somebody who's, I'll meet you at the gym at nine. Here's your workout for the day, right? Josh, don't you train people? So you know, like, here's your, right? You're going to do this many sets, this many reps at this weight. And you, and they, okay, do the next set. And I see people like at the gym and they just want to talk. And the trainer's like, nope, come on, do the next set. And there's other people that are there, man, they walk in the door and they're just like grabbing weights and they're doing, like, they're, they don't need anybody to help them. So I know we need, some of you need more help than others in this. Some of you are like, I don't know where I'd even begin to train myself for godliness. And other you already have like probably too many steps and you need to cut it in half. But do you have some idea? And if you don't, is there someone you can talk to about? Okay, what is it, what can you, how can you help me to train myself for godliness? Help me. So you may need someone to help coach you through that. Whereas others of you, you, you're already down the road. You know exactly what that looks like. But I think it would just be a, I think it would be a good thing for us to remember, hope in God exercise. Hope in God, exercise. Hope in God, exercise. Let that just be a little mantra that, that runs through our hearts through the next year. I want to I hope in God. My hope is in my Savior. That's where it ultimately lies. But I've got my part. I'm going to exercise. Hope, exercise. Hope, exercise. Hope, exercise. Make sense? Okay, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Just take some time, jot some notes down, think, pray, talk to somebody that maybe you need help thinking through this a little bit with, but Just take a minute just to think through these verses, and then we're going to sing a song. Good? All right, cool.